Odd Trails contains adult language and content. These stories can be frightening for some. Listener discretion is advised. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. To start off, I want to give you a little background. I'm Native American, and I live on a small reservation in North Dakota. Our house was basically in the middle of nowhere. I only have two neighbors, and they're both family. As a Native American, we have our own cultural beliefs and myths. One of those myths is the Wendigo. I was told that the Wendigo are mischievous spirits who like to play tricks on the living. However, You're never supposed to look at their face because it would scare you so much that you would pass away. It also served as a form of respect for the elder spirit. The idea that something like this existed almost scared me to death itself. One night while visiting my cousin who lived at the bottom of our giant hill, they started talking about the Wendigo. I have never heard of it before. I was naturally curious asking many questions. They told me not to be scared, though, because they could sense the fear, and it would want to play a trick on me. As the day turned into night, I naturally started to think about the earlier conversation of the Wendigo. I had called to my house that sat on top of a very steep hill. I asked my mom if I could spend the night. She told me no. She wanted me to start heading up the hill as soon as I got off the phone because it was already past curfew. I wanted to spend the night so badly because I was afraid of the Wendigo and I didn't want to walk up that hill at night. This was the moment that I had to put on a brave front and walk home alone in the dark. I said goodbye to my cousins and started walking up the hill. The driveway up the hill is gravel and has a line of small bushes that follow the curve of the hill. I hated this damn hill because it was so steep and seemed like a workout just to walk up it. Once I was about a quarter of the way up, something started to shake the shrubs next to me. I stopped and looked to see if it was my brother. I had thought maybe he knew that I was coming home and wanted to hide and scare me. I told him that I didn't think it was very funny, and then continued to walk. The shrubs shaking along the gravel road were in sync with each step that I took. I stopped again, and so did the shaking. I was starting to get a little upset, and I told my brother to knock it off, and stop trying to scare me. I stood there and waited for him to give up and walk out from behind the bush. I waited for probably 20 seconds, but it felt like a lifetime to me. This is when I got a gut feeling that it wasn't my brother. 
He would know when to stop trying to scare me and laugh about it or even giggle behind the bush, something. But it was quiet. I looked toward the door of the house. I was a little more than halfway up the hill now. I started walking at a faster pace, the shrubs next to me keeping pace alongside. This scared me and I started running. I saw that the shrubs were still keeping pace with me, shaking every individual shrub as I ran past it. It was impossible for somebody to be able to shake every single one while running, uphill nonetheless and at my pace. I was scared to death because there's a clearing where the bushes end and where our front door is. I knew that I had to run faster and not to look back. I didn't want to look back. Whatever or whoever it was would be at the end of the bush, exposed. Leaving me in clear sight, I would be able to see it. It would be able to see me. I felt like I was running so fast that I was flying. My feet weren't even touching the ground. I ran inside and shut the door behind me. I locked it and felt instant relief that I was away from whatever had just happened. If it really was my brother, he'd be locked out, and I would not let him in. While leaning against the door, catching my breath, I leaned over to look into the living room. My mom and brother were both on the couch watching TV. My heart dropped. What the hell just happened? I was in shock, so I didn't talk about it. I never talked about it until now. It haunts me, and I never walk alone at night anymore, even though this happened more than ten years ago. I still wonder, did talking about the Wendigo attract one to me that night? Whatever or whoever it was, let's not meet. I enjoy your podcasts, and they have inspired me to start my own. I'm not saying this to promote myself, but because it will be important to the story. I remember you once saying that the more you talk about the paranormal, the more you leave yourself open to such things. My podcast is mainly a paranormal, supernatural-themed podcast, with a bit of true crime sprinkled in here and there. I now wholeheartedly believe what you said to be true. Not long after I started my podcast, things have been happening around my apartment. It started small with noises here and there. My fiancé and our three-month-old daughter were out shopping, so it was just myself and my dog at home. I was in my office playing video games with some friends when I heard a door close. Thinking it was just my fiancé coming home because she forgot her purse or something, I called out, Hey honey, what'd you forget? No response. I called out again. Babe? Still nothing. So thinking she just didn't hear me for some reason, I got up and walked into our room. No one was there. Confused, I walked into the baby room and checked in there to see if maybe they stopped for a diaper change. Still no one there. 
I decided to text her and see if they came by quicker than it took for me to get up and look around. She says they're still out and have not come back to the house since they left a few hours ago. Now we do live in an apartment connected to other people, so there is a possibility that it could have just been a door on my neighbor's side, but to me it sounded way too loud to be heard through the wall. After a while, I had gone back to playing video games and kind of forgot about the whole thing. But not long after that, I heard a noise that sounded like someone was rubbing their hand along the walls in the hallway. Again, this could have been our neighbors, but it still sounded too close to be on the other side of the wall. This time, I just decided to ignore it and went back to the game. A few hours later, my fiancé and daughter finally came home, and after a few hours of getting the baby to bed, my fiancé wanted to play with us. While we're all playing, my dog runs into our room, which is where my fiancé is, and starts growling with his hair standing straight up. If you know my dog, you know this is not like him at all. He's the kind of lovable, submissive dog that if someone broke in, he would probably bring them a toy and roll over for some belly rubs. All of this was sufficient enough to make me think that none of these events were coincidences. These events happened all in the same day, shortly after recording the second episode of my podcast. A few days after that, my baby was asleep in the living room in her swing while I was in the office working. I went out to check on her when I heard something fall behind me from the kitchen. I turned around and saw her pacifier on the kitchen counter. I had just done the dishes, and I know for a fact I placed it on top of the drying rack, through some pegs, there is no way that it could have fallen out. I placed it back on the drying rack, and shook it and blew on it as hard as I could, but couldn't manage to get it to fall again, unless I were to actually flick it off. Around 5am the next morning, I'm sitting in the living room, feeding my daughter, when she stops drinking her milk. Looks in the corner of the living room towards the kitchen, and her eyes grow wide. Just before, she lets out a scream that I have never heard from her before. Scared, thinking I might have accidentally pinched her while I was moving her, I checked everywhere for a mark, but there was nothing. I tried as best as I could to calm her, but to no avail. That was until we went back into our room where my fiancé has her crystals, which are supposed to protect you from negative energies and spirits right by the door. The second we went back into the room, the baby stopped crying as if nothing happened. This has continued with random knocks being heard, disembodied voices, and my dog acting very much unlike himself, growling and barking at nothing. That leads us to last night. While recording the podcast, my fiancé and I kept hearing knocks on the door, and she kept telling me that she hears something in her headphones. Thinking that it was just feedback from one of us talking, I wrote it off. The knocking did make me feel a bit uneasy, though. For at least an hour, the knocking and feedback kept happening until we finished recording. Now, just for context, my baby, of course, wouldn't be able to get herself out of her crib, walk down the hallway, knock on the door, 
go back down the hallway and get herself back into her crib before I got up to check the door the first few times. While we record, we usually keep the dog in the room with us, and this night was no different. He was lying in his bed on the opposite side of the room from the door. Today I sat down to edit the episode when halfway through, my fiancé's mic goes crazy. All it picked up was static and some voices that didn't sound like either of ours. Just as this happened, the baby was in her swing when I heard the music start glitching, and when I went to look at the display, everything was flickering, and it seemed like as if someone was holding the swing down. The gears were grinding, and I had to turn it off, but that didn't work, so I had to fully unplug it to get it to stop. I immediately took her out of the swing, packed her up, grabbed my dog, and went on a walk. I just got back home, and now I'm sitting here typing this to you all. As soon as I got back inside, the air felt heavy, and now I have this odd feeling of being watched. I hope this is the worst of it, and things don't get too out of hand. Maybe I'll write you guys an update if anything changes. Sorry for rambling. I'm just scared. I would like to remain anonymous. Again, as to not self-promote on your show. Thank you guys for inspiring me to start my own podcast, but these experiences make me wish I hadn't. This happened to me and my roommate in our freshman year in college. I was dating a guy at the time, and he had come over to visit one night. My roommate goes to take a shower to leave us alone, and left her keys behind. Side note, all the dormitory doors lock automatically when you shut them. Not knowing that she had left her keys, we didn't want to be rude with the PDA, so we would leave for the basement common area which around this time of night is almost completely empty. We were down there for probably three hours just chatting on the couch, taking selfies and shooting pool before his ride comes to get him. I walk him to the doors, and before keying into our floor, I see one of my friends who tells me that my roommate has been looking all over for me. She tells me that my roommate locked herself out of our room and had to call the RA with the emergency phone in the lobby. I'm worried that she's pissed and quickly make my way to our room. Yeah, she was furious at me for leaving and essentially locking her out. We argue for a while, and she tells me that she walked all over the lobby, the basement common room, and outside to find me, dressed only in her bathrobe. I stop her. If she checked the basement, she would have found us immediately on the couch by the pool table. She gets angrier. She tells me that I must be lying since there's no couch in the basement common room. We go back and forth until finally I convince her to come downstairs. I'd be happy to show her the green and brown couch that I was sitting on no more than an hour or so ago. Well, you guessed it. There was no couch. But oddly enough, I found all of the trash from our snacks that my boyfriend and I had left behind in the waste bucket right next to the space that should have been where the couch was. 
I'm rightly confused and text my boyfriend, who sends me selfies of us together on the couch. I show the roommate, and we both realize that something is seriously wrong. Not only did she pass through the basement a few times, and we weren't there, but neither was the couch. I still think that it's a glitch in the Matrix to this day. So to start off, I am a 27-year-old female, but this happened when I was around 25 or 26. I wrote in a story to Let's Not Meet a while back. My story was of the golden truck. If you listen to that story, then you'll know that I was raised with a really twisted and sexually abusive upbringing and was told that it was all in the name of God. It really messed up my faith and made me frightened of God and religion altogether. After I got married, and for some years leading up to that, I tried to put myself back on the path of faith. I am now a Christian, and am very confident and solid in my beliefs. However, when I was confused and searching, this terrifying thing happened. I read online that when you try to get closer to God, demons will try to scare you off the path to God. That's what started happening because this was not the first encounter I've had with demonic spirits, but it did have the most impact on me. I was lying in bed next to my then-husband, and I heard a marble roll across a wooden floor. My eyes shot open because, with the other encounters I've had, it always starts with that sound, and I have no idea why. We did not have wooden floors so there was no mistaking that sound as my cat rolling something on the floor. I then started hearing soft crying that sounded like my sister. My sister did not live with me. She has her own life and family now, but the reason I thought it was my sister was because when we were younger, she would always come crying to me when she had a fight with her boyfriend. They had been on and off for years. Even when we both had our own apartments after high school, she would come over at a very late hour, knocking on my door in tears because she and her boyfriend broke up yet again. I thought she was at my door that night, doing the same thing, even though she had not done that for years. Something told me to stay in bed, though, because after about 30 seconds of it sounding like she was crying outside my front door, her crying got louder and more hysterical. It sounded like she was walking down the hall to my bedroom. But I thought to myself, how in the world did she get into my apartment? I'm super paranoid, so I triple check every night that my doors and windows are locked. I then saw my bedroom door slowly open. It wasn't quite my sister though. Sobbing into her hands, she looked taller her hair greasy, and she was dressed in what looked like black tattered cloth. But it sounded like her. She can be a pretty dramatic crier. I was horrified at this moment, and I just saw her make her way to my husband's side of the bed. He was facing away from me, sleeping on his side. I saw her bend down, looking like she wanted to be face to face with him. 
I was so terrified I turned the other way, quickly, and thought in my mind that the only one that could save me was Jesus Christ. So I tried saying his name, but I was so scared that I was stuttering. Tears filled my eyes because I felt so incapable of saying his name. The moment I tried, the demon was right at my bedside. She was not crying anymore. She looked angry. Her gray skin looked wet and soggy and staring down at me in pure hate and anger. She said, You think Jesus can save you? I tried desperately to kick, shake, or startle my husband awake. He didn't respond to any of my physical pleas for help. I pushed him so hard at one point, he went onto his stomach, but did nothing. He didn't move at all, and flopped onto his stomach, almost like he was dead. I covered my face and kept saying, This is all in my head. This is all in my head. She is not real. But then I saw a gray, wet hand with long, talon-like fingernails wrap around my forearm. I kept telling myself that none of this was real, but she had just dug her talons into my arm. There should have been a massive amount of blood. Then I finally managed to say, Jesus Christ. And she was gone. I was in tears, shaking like I never have before, and I then turned over to see my husband still on his stomach. I started outright sobbing, which woke him. He asked what was wrong, and I said I couldn't talk about it right now. I just needed to get out of that room. I was ready to be up for the day. He said okay and made coffee. We went to the living room to talk about it, and I did, shakily. He said he had felt nothing during all of that. A year or so later, I divorced my husband because of a lot of reasons. But it bothered me that he felt absolutely nothing during that encounter. He is incredibly judgmental and has always felt like he was a holier-than-thou sort of person. Why was he not bothered by the demon? With how he handles his life and how he treats people, I feel like the demons had him the whole time. All the attacks I experienced happened when I was with him. Ever since I left him and found someone that gives me nothing but positivity, support, and love, I have not experienced anything like a demon attack. I don't know what that says about my ex-husband or me, but I thought it was an interesting correlation. I don't like talking about this experience, but thought that maybe someone would have an explanation for it. So this is when I was about eight, in 2001. My mom, brother, aunt, and grandma all traveled to Chicago to see Dinosaur Sue. We had been staying in a hotel nearby for about five days. It was very upscale, new, and overall very nice. Those entire five days, my mom would let me run ahead to the elevator when returning to our room from swimming or getting ice, and let me ride up alone, 
since our room was right to the left of the elevator when you got off. My grandma would always have the door cracked. So, one day, on the way back from the pool, and we had literally just got out so I had wet hair, suit, and towel. I did the same thing. I ran ahead and I entered the elevator. I pressed the button for the seventh floor. There's only one elevator in this hotel, by the way. Once I got to the seventh floor, which I knew by the signs outside of the elevator, I went to the second door to the left, like I had maybe 20 times before that same week. I knocked and knocked, but nothing happened. I remember becoming weirdly alarmed at this point. That's the best way I can describe it. Even though I was smart enough to know I could always return to the lobby or that my mom would be arriving shortly. So, while wondering why my grandma wasn't answering the door, I returned the few feet back to the elevator. I waited for my mom and brother. I saw on the display that the elevator was arriving on floor 7, the floor that I was on, which was clearly written on the sign. I see the light, and I hear the elevator ding. The door's open, and it's empty. At this point, I just feel something is very off. I return to the door, knocking, and now I'm crying. I'm also cold, because I'm so wet from the pool. Finally, after no more than a minute, a very old woman answers the door and says, Dear, I told you already. This is not your room. She said, It will be fine. I'm very sorry, but I'm on the phone with my son. Give me a few more minutes. Your mother is coming. Then, she closed the door on me. I was shocked. How could anyone close the door on a crying kid who lost their mother, especially a woman who seemed like a caring grandmother type? Almost immediately, after she closed the door, the elevator opened and my mom ran out crying and grabbed me. She was saying, Honey, where were you? I've been so worried. She then went to open the door. Not our room. She was stunned. The whole time, I'm trying to explain, I had been here. My timeline of events had only been about five minutes. Her still hugging and holding me, she kind of just went into autopilot and went back to the elevator with me. She pressed seven again. The doors closed briefly, then reopened. It was really fast. The elevator didn't move at all, and once the door opened, we both saw my grandmother standing in the second door to the left, crying. And then, very happy, and running to us, hugging us. Apparently, I had been missing for 45 minutes. Police were called. Every floor had been gone to. They were still in the process of knocking all the doors, opening vacant and even locked rooms. Apparently, my mother had decided to once more go back and look at the pool to see if I had returned there. Then, after seeing it empty, she took that same and only elevator back up to seven. Only this time, out of the multiple other times that day, she found me. The police and staff had gone up and down that elevator multiple times looking for me. We still talk about it to this day, and I can't explain it. My hair was still wet. The police were kind of pissed until the hotel staff pulled up the camera showing me getting on the elevator, but then never getting off. Then the really creepy thing was that when my mother got on from the lobby, you see her get on. Then ten minutes pass, and she gets off 
on floor 7 with me in her arms. They went through all of the cameras on all of the floors, which had very clear angles of the elevator on each floor. Nothing. I swear, the staff was freaked out, as were the police. They were almost convinced someone had taken me and then became freaked out and left me shortly after. They were stumped as to why my hair was still wet, but they couldn't refute the cameras as they were high resolution, working correctly, and everything. I've always wanted to call her back and see if they still talk about it years later. I just don't want to mess with it. Because it's not like I even see the event as serving a purpose, you know? I have no clue who that woman was, nor was I ever able to identify her. Even after they found me during the investigation, they locked down the hotel and all possible exits and had the perimeter closed off. Chicago doesn't fuck around by way of possible abductions. Every guest in the hotel was more than happy to help. Women from ages 50 on, all willing to let the police take photos. Not one of them was the woman. This woman had very blue eyes. The only possible connection I can think of is that the woman and I had almost identical eyes. I kind of have a rare color for how dark my hair is. You've been using some AI art on our Instagram for Odd Trails, and I've kind of dabbled in it with a few apps and stuff, but I've really started kind of diving into it because it's interesting to me how AI isn't, it's, while it's pulling inspiration from different paintings and pieces of art and pictures and stuff on the internet, it's still creating something brand new. It's not just recycling things. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I don't fully understand it either. I think I do, and then I learn more and more about it. And it's almost terrifying how it's making these images exist. Yeah, honestly, it's um, it's beyond my comprehension. I don't get it. It's made by people smarter than me, probably aliens. We probably got this technology from aliens. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm convinced we got all of our technology from aliens or other beings from different dimensions, right? We're not smart enough to think of these things. Yeah, not so much related to AI or anything like that. But I remember as a kid just seeing the graphics on the PlayStation games, mm -hmm. thinking, well, just imagine if the actual gameplay was like how the video looks. And, and now we're way beyond that. Now we have the AI and the audio AI, too, like the stuff where it can just make somebody look like they said something that they did not actually say. That already is terrifying. It's only going to get worse. Yeah, I would imagine. I always think of it this way. Any technology that we're allowed to see in the public sector... Mm -hmm. I would imagine that rich people and governments have technology decades ahead of what we're allowed to even see and have our hands on. Because there's no way that we're seeing the best technology that exists, right? That, that, that's No, of course not. Of course not. I, I am a firm believer in extraterrestrials or uh, other beings. And this story that I recently came across, it's a, it's a couple weeks old. It might be like a week or two old. It's really interesting to me. It's from a, a Twitter handle called Super Composite. Have you heard about Loab? I have, yeah, and this whole AI art journey. Okay, good. Okay, so you'll kind of understand this for the listeners. So basically, there was this guy, Super Composite, on Twitter. 
he talks about how he was trying to utilize this. Uh, I, I don't really understand this. It's the negative prompt weights. It, it doesn't really make sense to me. But basically, all you're doing is you're asking the AI art to make something that's the opposite of what you're typing in. So he types in the word Brando, which is appropriate. Mm-hmm. And it spits out this logo for uh, like a company or something, uh, maybe a TV show or even a podcast. It kind of looks like podcast art. It's called, and it says Digita, D-I-G-I-T-A. And then the second word is just uh, a mix. It's like P-N-T-I-C-S. So him thinking, okay, it made a logo with these words. If I type these words in, these letters, it maybe it'll come out with a picture of Marlon Brando because I was typing in Brando to see what the opposite of Brando was. So he types it in. And what comes back scares him. It's very creepy. It's what we're going to call Loab. Now, the reason we're calling it Loab is because it was a picture of a woman, a painting of a woman with the most uh, distressed, disturbing looking ghostly face with the sunken in eyes, these bright red, uh, blood red cheeks and this creepy, uh, this, this creepy dark green background. It just makes her look terrifying. But in the top left of the screen were the letters L-O-A-B, which I don't know if you'd pronounce it Loab or Loeb. I don't want to disrespect the AI ghost. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to bring that juju on me. But he went ahead and started searching Loab. And she kept popping up. Every single painting or photo that the AI would come up with would be this creepy woman who he calls Loab. It would be the same type of face in different uh, different styles, but it was always the dark, sunken in eyes that were completely black, the the red, like almost rosacea looking cheeks, and these dark lines all throughout the face. She always looked distressed. Um, he had uh, a friend of his create an image that he called something about angels in a glass tunnel. It was a really pretty painting. I I don't know if it was AI or if his friend actually made it. But he said he did it in like the style of Wes Anderson. So he combined that image, which is a really cool painting, with the original image of Loab. And what came out of that was a complete nightmare. He started getting images of Loab with like dead babies and blood all over the walls. There were images so disturbing that I'm having a hard time finding him because he wouldn't post them on his Twitter. He said they were too disturbing to even post. And it just kept coming back it was always the same woman with the same creepy face as if it's a being that exists in the ai in this in the computer and she she knows her name it's loab and she comes out she comes to the surface anytime her name is typed in so based on what i was reading i may have misunderstood i thought the loab thing can only be this entity can only be manifested based off of the negative prompts just by searching for Loab. I haven't been able to resurrect her or anything like I that, which makes either. it more unsettling if you can't resurrect her by the name. Right. I haven't either, but I think it is native to the app that he was using or the program that he's using, he was using, right. which is really confusing. I, I forget what it's called. Yeah, we don't know which one that this person used. Yeah, I forget the name of it. I actually found it on Reddit. A Redditor found out what kind of, what, what program he was using. Mm-hmm. He keeps expanding on it and he has just this string of pictures that you have to check out. It's a complete Twitter thread under Super Composite. I'll link it in the show notes. But what really scares me about this is 
no matter what he combines it with, it's always similar. It's always very similar to that first image of that woman, Loab. It is hard to replicate an exact image. Even with celebrities, it can be difficult. Just to, I did Tom Cruise swimming around eating a sandwich, and it did not look like Tom Cruise as much as I would have hoped. Exactly. But this Loab thing, it's uncanny each time, and that's what really throws me off. Yeah, it's really creepy, and... I actually had to stop scrolling through the photos right now. As I was reading this to you, I was kind of scrolling through the tweets. There's some of them that are so scary. I had to look away. Like they're the most frightening images I think I've seen. Uh, as far as art goes, it's terrifying. And it's like, she exists in the machine and I don't know what to think about it, but I'm going to have nightmares tonight. And I kind of don't want to mess with AI art anymore. I feel like we're messing with, uh, a technology and, a. a an entity or um, some kind of being that we shouldn't be messing with. I feel like we're on the precipice of crossing a line that we shouldn't be crossing right now with AI. Yeah, I don't disagree. And I think we're at the point where we've uncovered so much. There's no going back. Mm -hmm. We have to keep peeling this back and seeing how far it takes us. It's just, there's too much. There's so much more. It's kind of like how we only use X percent of our brain. We've only unlocked barely the surface of AI, as far as I'm concerned. Imagine another decade or two. Things are going to get weird. It's going to get so weird. I'm so terrified. It's going to be an actual cyberpunk thing. I really think it's going to end up into yeah. a cyberpunk dystopia at some point in our lifetime. Yeah, and the rate at which technology has advanced, it's not just like in the last thousand years it's slowly gotten better it's literally in the last couple decades it's gotten insanely better yeah like every year not only does it progress more it progresses exponentially compared to the last year so it's like we're going too fast we weren't meant to go this fast i don't think so um it's creepy and, it, and it, the thing about loab is it's it's fiction because it was created by AI, so it's not really a real thing. But at the same time, it's nonfiction because mm -hmm. it exists. It obviously exists because the AI is creating it, and over and over again, it recognizes it as a being. Right, with consistency. And that's what's scary about it. It's fiction and nonfiction. I don't know. I, I like both. I like both nonfiction and fiction. What about you? Let's let's change In the terms subject of, here. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's get <laughs> let's get playful here. Let's talk about our hobbies and our interests, passions. What, yeah. What do you? Uh, so, fiction and nonfiction. What, what's your preference when it comes to like audiobooks or something? Audiobooks. That's that's very specific. I like that though. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't. We don't read as much as we should. Neither of us really right. read all that much. It's all like we audiobooks used to. and YouTube. Yeah, we're always doing audiobooks and talking about audiobooks. Well, let's see. I like them both, but I find myself gravitating more towards nonfiction or purportedly nonfiction, conspiracy theories, UFOs, all that, of course. But I also like mm -hmm. reading about or listening to people's struggles, whether it's just somebody who is like dealt a bad hand or set a really, really high goal for themselves. It's inspiring. I like uplifting stories like that as much as I like to be freaked out. As far as nonfiction horror things, I think our listeners would appreciate that. The Hot Zone by Richard Preston. Have you heard of that one? No, I've never even heard of Richard Preston. Well, he wrote a book about the Ebola virus as it was all unwinding. And holy shit, that is actual nightmare fuel. The way he describes each stage the body goes through when it gets infected by the virus, 
it's almost incomprehensible levels of pain and suffering. Like it's freaking me out. My voice is shaking up just reliving listening to that book. It was insane. Even Stephen King called the first chapter of that book one of the most horrifying things he has read. So that tells you something. Yeah, and Stephen King is pretty picky. I, I have a, I have, though I do have a suspicion that he gets paid to kind of yeah. plug certain things. Some of his tweets are a little suspect, mm-hmm. but uh, for him to say something like that, that's interesting. I might have to read that, but it seems kind of depressing too at the same time. It is. It's definitely true. It's like a real Cronenberg movie. That's exactly what it felt like. Oh my God, that's terrifying. I mean, I like nonfiction like that, but I also, and I didn't used to, but I'm sort of, uh, I guess I could say coming around to self-help type books when it comes to nonfiction, but Mm -hmm. not necessarily like inspirational or motivational, more so like bettering your health and the progress of science as far as the mind and the body go. Have you heard, this is one of my favorite nonfiction books. Have you heard of the mind-body prescription from uh, Dr. Sarno, I think his name is. You mentioned that to me a couple years ago, and I read through a bit of it. Okay, good. I didn't finish it like with all other books, but it was good. It was really good. Okay, yeah. It's basically, for the listeners, again, it's uh, not that pain, like chronic pain that is unexplainable that a lot of us have. I've had it in the past. I'm still deal with it from time to time, but it's not that it's in your mind. That's not what it's about. That deters a lot of people from uh, Dr. Sarno's work. Too new agey for some. Exactly. He has this uh, theory about TMS. It's tension myositis syndrome. I can't really pronounce that second word, but People always look at it as, oh, he just says that that chronic pain is all in your mind. No, that's not it. It's not that it's all in your mind. It's that your mind is causing the pain. You have these pain pathways in your brain that it's almost like learned pain pathways where back pain is one of the most common ones where people have unexplained back pain. They're like, oh, maybe you've got a slip disc or your, uh, your hips are out of alignment and it's causing this pain, but the pain will come and go. You'll go through phases where it'll get worse or it'll go away and you can't really explain it. And nobody can really help you with this pain. Mine personally was pelvic pain, which is a pretty common thing for men. And what It can stem from, in a lot of cases that I've learned from this book and my experience, is your mind. Not that you're, like I said, not that it's in your mind, but it's your mind causing it. You can store tension, stress, rage, all of these strong emotions in different parts of your body. And they can tense up and they can cause so much pain. And your, your mind learns that pain pathway to that part of your body. So that way, anytime you're stressed out, anytime that you're worried about it, anytime something goes wrong, the the slightest, you know, inconvenience in life can trigger this learned pain pathway in your brain to cause that pain to overreact, to happen, to, to inflame when there's nothing structurally wrong with your body. And it can often stem from people a lot like us where we're perfectionists. I know both of us really are in our own ways. For sure. Um, It can stem from, yeah, it can stem from like self doubt. It can stem from rage. Fear of failure. Yeah. Fear of failure is huge. One thing that he really focuses on though is rage. And that comes from 
our upbringing, we were suppressing all of this rage inside of us about something from our upbringing, whether it be from our parents or trauma that happened to us in the past. It manifests as rage deep inside of us, and that comes out in pain throughout the body. It's like the body's dealing with it by storing that tension and that pain, and your mind has learned that pathway to that part of your body, and it uses it to tell you, hey, 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 you need to freak out. You need to you need to be ready. And it, it just causes all this pain in your body. There's a lot of therapy. There's a lot of physical therapy. There's a lot of things you can do, meditation, to kind of work through these things. But that was one of the biggest nonfiction, I guess you could call self-help books I ever read. I recommend anybody listening to this podcast, if you deal with chronic pain and there's nothing structurally wrong with you, if your doctor... If all your doctors have told you, we can't figure out what's wrong, but it could be this, it could be that, and you just want to try something out, check out the mind-body prescription by Dr. Sarno. It might help you. A lot of people swear by this book. Just reading it has cured people's chronic pain problems. It sounds a lot more accessible and legitimate than Dianetics by the late, great L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah, you could almost compare it in the sense that maybe... L. Ron Hubbard might have had an idea about this, but he didn't really understand it. And he was also an evil bastard. <laughs> yeah, he was like 12% sane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was also evil as fuck. Horrible. Yeah. Horrible. But this sounds good. I like it. I like it. But yeah. there are a lot of parallels with Dianetics and everything he laid out as far as like associating pain with your mental state and whatnot. That's the yeah. whole basis of Scientology and Dianetics. Yeah. And that, I think that's why it draws people in because mm -hmm. I think we all kind of understand Very that. Very relatable. Yeah. He was such an evil genius that, mm -hmm. you know, he could tell anybody anything and, yeah. and sell it to them. So, yeah, but this guy sounds good. I like him. Yeah. He's a great guy. Well, he passed away. Rest in peace. Rest in um, peace. But he has a few books on the subject and a lot of uh, different doctors have been expanding on his work. There's other books out there inspired by Dr. Sarno that I also recommend getting. I was about to say, it reminds me of the law of attraction. Yeah. Basically the idea that our thoughts directly shape and influence how our life experiences turn out. Yeah. In not so many words, if we shape our thoughts to be positive and framed in such a way it brings us closer to happiness or success that's the trajectory life will take you on but if you're constantly harvesting negative thoughts just kind of sitting around bitter and never telling yourself anything will ever work out that may very well be the destiny you're shaping yourself for yeah exactly and i've i've actually experienced that um before we wrap things up though i've actually been diving into this as a new segment in our dialogue sections of the podcast but I guess I'll call it weird news because I can't think of anything better. Oh, I got you. I got you by the next time we do it. Okay, cool. We'll have a, an official segment name for this. But this week in the weird news, because I'm obsessed with this kind of stuff. For all of you pumpkin spice latte lovers out there, be on the lookout this season for Tainted Pumpkin. There was 44 pounds of liquid meth hidden inside of condoms packaged within pumpkins. Now, they found this at the Texas border, uh, and it was worth over $400,000 of meth. It was hidden inside a 2013 Ford Escape coming from Mexico. And again, that was packed in 136 condoms, all full of liquid meth. And the condoms were within pumpkins, like jack-o'-lanterns? Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the liquid meth was in the condoms, I see. packed inside of pumpkins. And that's how they were uh, 
getting the drugs across the border or how, that's how they thought they were going to get the drugs across the border. That's cute and creative. Yeah, exactly. So if you're out there, if you got your kids out there uh, smashing jack-o'-lanterns as they do on Halloween, I don't know if they still do that. I thought the term was smashing pumpkins, but hey, what do I know? Smashing pumpkins? Oh, nice to meet you. My name is uh, Homer Simpson, smiling politely. That's... <laughs> That's the joke, right? I think that's the joke. I don't remember. But yeah, if you're smashing pumpkins out there, uh, be on the lookout for some uh, liquid meth. You could probably make a pretty penny on that. Yeah, penny or two. (laughs) 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 Uh, Anyways, thanks everybody for listening. Be on the lookout for those pumpkins. We don't want you guys on drugs. Drugs are bad. Stay away from the drugs. Stay healthy. You're stronger than and more powerful than they want you to believe. <laughs> yes, you are. If nothing else, believe what Andy tells you. Enjoy your stickers. Hope you stuck them somewhere safe. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, this week you have heard Wendigo by Maya, That Thing That Lingers Around by Anonymous, The Disappearing Couch by Wicked Pixels, The Scariest Experience I Ever Had by Sheba, and finally, Elevators Freak Me Out by Sydney Danielle 23. All of the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. If you want to share a story, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. And if you want to get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes at a higher bit rate for the best listening experience, head over to patreon.com forward slash oddtrails to support the show today. And don't forget to check out my other podcasts, Let's Not Meet a True Horror Podcast and the Old Time Radio Cast at crypticcountypodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week. Stay safe. Peace out.